nation that was founded upon God cannot just assume that the blessing of God will always rest upon it as we continue through our paths. Uh, This morning I want to talk to you about the fact that there is a path of truth and there's a path of assumption. The path of truth would be the fact that we live by by the word of God that is truth in our lives. Amen? We follow Christ. We follow God for who He is and we quit assuming that God saved me, and therefore, just because we always have been, uh, you know, in a good place, God's always going to bless us. Uh, America, uh, the United States of America is a great nation, but we also have to be cautious and make sure that we have not taken upon ourselves this assumption that no matter what I do, God's just going to bless me because we're a great nation. We have to go back to what it is that's made us great, amen? And it's the same in our personal lives. We cannot just walk aimlessly through life, mindlessly as a Christian calling ourselves a believer and mindlessly just pursue whatever, whenever, and never think about the fact, am I following Christ or am I assuming that I'm following Christ? Assumption is a very dangerous thing. And if you want to turn with me to Judges chapter 16, Samson is a prime example of someone... Uh, who can assume God's blessing would follow him regardless of his behavior. He's one of these individuals that said, you know, I'm I'm the judge of Israel. God established me. He's done great victories through me. And so really, basically, I can just continue to pursue whatever I want to pursue on my daily life. If we look at at, uh, Judges 16, beginning in verse 5, this is after he's already met Delilah. It says, And the lords of the Philistines came up unto her, and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what means we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee, every one of us, eleven hundred pieces of silver. We have a great picture in this verse, church, of what our enemy, our adversary, the devil, desires to do to us. The Philistines wanted to come in and they wanted to bind him. They wanted to afflict him. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 and 9 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We've got to grasp, church, that we are in a war. If we were in the military and we were in Afghanistan, do we just wear our, our, our armor, our body armor and our helmet just when we're going out into the battlefield? No. We wear it any time that we're on or off base because there's a war. And we recognize the fact that the enemy could strike at any moment. See, our enemy is a roaring lion. Our enemy is, is, is much like Uh, the terrorists that we deal with today. They hide themselves behind other people. They they sneak up and they attack and then run. They're blended in. Our enemy is a master of camouflage. He wants to entice us. He wants to entice us out. He wants to lull us to sleep. He wants to bring us to a place of destruction and he wants to find any avenue in any way that he could possibly do that. Samson's problem was that he had a problem with women. He had a lust for women. He had, if you look early in Samson's life, yes, he had a Nazarite vow. He had long hair. His mother had told him, his mother was even told that she wasn't even to drink wine while she was pregnant with him. He was set apart. He was intended to be holy. 
But as he became a young man, he did not take on those things in himself. And he began, he said, I I demand, mom and dad, I want that Philistine woman for my wife. I demand you to give her to me. And they said, why don't you take a wife from your own people, which is scriptural, which was within the law of God. He said, no, I want that one. And so he took her. And then later on, you see him also, you see him also laying with prostitutes. And people say, yeah, but Pastor Bob, he was being used of God. And look, he took the gates off and came. Listen to me. He was a man of God that had a weakness. And the enemy saw it. And he finally went to a woman and he said, look, we need you to entice him to tell us about the source of his great strength. Because we all know this, that Satan can't fight us toe-to-toe on a battlefield. He can't. Even if he destroys us, he can't. Even if he kills us, he can't kill us. Amen? He can't kill us on his own. He knows that anything he afflicts us with or tries to do, it has to go through God the Father before it comes to a child of God. Amen? He cannot destroy us. A soul cannot be stolen by Satan. It has to be given away by an individual. True or false? That's true. So we know that he's looking at this, and and he's looking at Samson. They say, look, we know we can't fight him on the battlefield. We know what he did with the jawbone of the donkey. We saw him carry the gate. There's no way we can stop this guy. But if we will cause him to break whatever it is that makes him strong, then we can take him. And that's the attitude of the enemy today. He looks at us and he says, you know, if I can find that place of weakness in that believer's life, I can entice them out to a place to where they themselves, they won't even have to worry about fighting because they're going to give themselves over to me. You see, Samson's weakness was lust. For us uh, in this, this church, guys, if we were to be totally honest with ourselves, these are things we deal with on a regular basis that we have to keep in check. Ladies, it could be lots of other things. Manipulation, it could be, it could be anger, uh, anger, rage, guys. It could be that. It could be lots of things. Where's your weakness? We as America, you know what our weakness is? You know what our biggest weakness is? That the enemy is saying, let's entice them so that we can control them. You know what the biggest weakness is? The almighty dollar. You don't believe me? How much money do we owe to China right now? If we don't live by the precepts and the principles of this word, even as a nation, we are handing ourselves over to our enemy. If we, if we, if we borrow and borrow and borrow and never pay back, and the debt gets bigger and bigger and bigger, we are, are we not handing ourselves over to our enemy? The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But he can't do it toe-to-toe with a believer. It's too obvious. When we see him coming in a, in a situation, we say, well, that's, that's Satan. I'm staying away from that. That's wrong. But no, he, he plays on things to entice, to draw in slowly, to change your affection, to change your attention until we stand at a crossroad here at a Y and we say, am I going to follow truth or am I going to follow my own desires and assume that God's just going to be with me like he always has been in the past? A real good national example of this would be found in Numbers chapter 23. Balak, king of Zippor, he was afraid of Israel and he sent for Balaam to come and to curse Israel. And Balaam, who was a type of a prophet of some kind, he's there and he's saying, look, he said, I've sought God and and I'm telling you, I cannot curse them. Numbers 23.8 says, how shall I curse whom God hath not cursed or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? Israel was blessed. 
They were a blessed nation. And Balak said, look, I can't stop these people. They're, they're taking over everything. How can I stop them? And Balaam says, look, he said, I can't, I can't curse them. God's blessed them. You can't remove God's blessing. I can't curse away God's blessing. But then we see in Numbers 25, just a little bit later, after Balaam talks about all the greatness of God and what he's going to do in the future, verse 1 it says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Now you look at the scripture and you say, well, that's weird. They went from being blessed to the next chapter here, all, chapter or so, all of a sudden now they're indulging in pagan worship of other gods. Numbers 31, Moses hints at what happens after disease and sickness comes on the community because of it. Moses said, 31:15, he said unto them, have you saved all the women alive? Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Moses told the people, he said, look, yeah, we're blessed. And Balaam couldn't curse us. So you know what he told him to do? Send your women down there to intermingle with them, and then God will have to curse them. Are we seeing the picture here? People that once served God and were under this assumption that we're blessed, they truly were blessed, but because they chose and assumed that God's blessing would always be there regardless of their lifestyle, all of a sudden now we're waking up and there's a plague in the, in the camp. And it was started by a man, another symbol of our enemy that says, I really can't hurt these people because the Spirit of God's in them, God's blessed them, I can't put a curse on them, but I can entice them out. I can cause them to curse themselves against God. I can, you can send your, I can't curse them, but I'll tell you what, Balak, if you send your women down there, they're not supposed to intermingle or intermarry with people from other nations because they'll end up serving their gods, and their God is a holy God, and he doesn't like it. So if you send all your ladies down there, you entice them out, God will curse them. You see, our enemy wants to entice us out. And the, the gods of Baal Peor, do you know how they worshipped the Moabite gods? you know how they did that? They would, they would reveal themselves openly, open nudity in front of an idol, and they would defecate before it, openly. The children of Israel were stripping themselves down and openly defecating before a dead idol. Why? Because they had been enticed out. They had taken the path of assumption rather than truth. Rather than obeying the word of God that says not to marry somebody from the other nations, not to have lust and not to be involved and in, in to have uh, commit adultery or fornication with these other nations, don't do that. They did it and they ended up in a place where God was absolutely and totally disgusted where he had to do something about it. You say, what's the big deal? The big deal is, is do you remember how they had to worship God? The priests had to do all the washings, the cleansings. Their, their, everything had to be on their garments. Everything had to be just right. They were so big about modesty that the priest even had to have a skirt on underneath his robe so that just in case he would climb up a ladder that nobody could look up and see his nakedness. And now the people of God are stripped down naked and defecating in front of an idol. They were enticed out by the enemy. They had assumed that regardless of how I behave, that the, the blessing of God would rest upon me. Much like Samson. See, he had been enticed by the fact that even though he had made mistakes and, and he had slept with prostitutes and still God was with him in different times and was merciful and he still did mighty acts, he was lulled to sleep thinking, you know what, I'm invincible. I can do anything I want. God's with me. 
God's using me to deliver Israel from the Philistines. She begins to entice Samson about his great strength in chapter 16. She asks him, and he, he lies, and he says that if you bind me with seven green widths or, or bowstrings that were never dried, then I'll be bound. Bowstrings. Well, obviously we know Philistines are upon you. He breaks the bowstrings. Then he says, she asks again, and he lies. She says, he says, if, I bind, if you bind me fast with new ropes that never were occupied, then shall I be weak and be as other, another man. And, and sure enough, here again, she binds him up. And a person's got to look and say, what? What the world is he doing? Does he not see what's going on? He knows exactly what's going on. She was even very clear in Judges 16.6. It says, And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray thee, wherein thy great strength lieth, and wherewith thou mightest be bound to afflict thee. She even told him. He knew what she was doing. He knew what she was doing when she was, when she was weaving his hair, when she was, she was putting ropes on him, when she was... Saying, hey, the Philistines are upon you. She knew. He knew. He was playing the game, church. Much like you and I. Much like you and I. We walk through life. The Spirit of God's upon it. We're honest. We're a believer in Christ. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for your blessings. Your blessings, oh, Lord, just pour out your blessings on us. And then we want to go out and do things. And, and we do things that we know are sinful and wrong. And then we turn around and we say, well, you know, I still sense the presence of God, so it's okay. You see, there's a line. He was playing games. (laughs) You can't tell me that Samson did not know that what he was doing was wrong. He knew it was wrong. And he continued to do it anyway, and he continued to play the game. Judges 16, verse 15, it finally catches up with him. And she said unto him, How canst thou say, I love thee, when thy heart is not with me? Thou hast mocked me these three times, and hast not told me wherein thy great strength lieth. Samson, hair flip, big fella. I don't even think Samson was big. I could just, I want to picture Samson as like four foot two because they don't know where his strength was. I mean, if he was just like great, big, massive uh, masters of the universe type he-man dude, if he looked like that, they'd be like, oh, he's a big, strong guy. In this case, they're going, dude, where's your strength coming from? I could just imagine being a little fella. But anyway... No wonder he was enticed by women. You know, it's like, I hey, like a woman. She said, <laughs> look, a lady, Samson, you don't love me. Samson, he's like, sure I do, sure. But you know what he did? He entered into it knowing it was wrong. And he's like, oh, I'll just tell her it don't matter. I'll get up and I'll do like I always have. Listen to what the scripture said. And it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. What a sissy. That he told her, he allowed himself to be controlled because a lady kept bothering him. Go away. You know what I'm saying? Walk away from her, Samson. Oh, I can't take it anymore. For a man with great strength, he just, come on, walk away, Samson. But anyway. He told her all his heart and said unto her, There hath not come a razor upon mine head, for I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought her money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head, and she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. 
And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. What a sad story. He wist not that the Lord had departed from him. He had played the game so long. He had assumed, he had walked the path of assumption for so long, saying that I'm untouchable. I'm the judge of God. It's okay, I can do what I want. God's so faithful to me that I can just live however I want to live, and he's always going to be here. The saddest thing, the man of God asleep with his head in the lap of of a harlot. The man of God asleep with his head in the lap of a harlot with full confidence that nothing's going to harm him. Church, are we not there today? Is our nation not there today? Are, is the church as a whole not there today? I would like to believe that, that this prophecy that would come to pass would come to pass because of holiness in this church. I would like to believe that, that if God's going to walk with us and His light is within us, that that light's going to lead us down a path of holiness, righteousness, and humility, a path of truth, not a path of assuming that we're doing everything okay because God forgave us of our sins through Jesus' blood. Am I advertising some kind, of, some kind of fragile Christianity here? No, I'm just advertising the fact and teaching us and drawing from this, this lesson today the fact that a man of God can walk down the path of assumption and get lost. And as a matter of fact, the enemy is standing there saying, did God really say? We've not heard that one before, have we? Did God really say? Did God really say? We won't know what God said if we're not walking on the path of truth. He said, I'll just do as I've done before. I'll go out and shake myself. His strength was not in his hair, church. His strength was in the covenant that he had made with God. His strength was wrapped up in the fact that he had been set apart with an agreement of, I'm going to be holy, I'm going to be set apart for you. And God was going to use him mightily, and he was set apart and holy, and then all of a sudden, he, he's not living holy. He's got the external work of it, he's got the long hair. Maybe he's not drinking wine, I don't know. But all of a sudden, now he's sleeping with prostitutes? That's breaking the covenant, amen? That's not holiness. It's not holiness. He was lulled to sleep way before he ever was in Delilah's lap. It was over a period of, 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 of sinning against God and God still being there and bringing victory in his life that allowed him to become more comfortable for who he was and to completely indulge into all of it. It's a dangerous place to be to walk down a path of assumption that God's been here so he's always going to be here. Amen? King Saul's another one quickly that had a similar circumstance to the sense that his power and victories his way had, had gone to his head. He'd become prideful. One time he was very small in his own eyes and, and Samuel said, you were small in your own eyes at one point and now, you know, look at you. He was told to destroy the Amalekites and he chose not to destroy King Agag. He brought back the animals alive. He made excuses why he did it. He asked to be honored before the people. He loved his power and status more than God. Otherwise, he would have obeyed. He assumed he was self-sufficient and that his actions really didn't matter. 1 Samuel 15 says in 28 says and Samuel said unto him 
The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. I want us to look quickly at that word. And also the strength of Israel, capital S, strength. The strength of Israel. Who is God the Father? Samson's strength was not in himself. It was not in his hair. It was not in anything apart from God the Father. It was, it was wrapped up in the relationship and the promise that God had given him that Samson assumed, took for granted, and walked away from depending on God's mercy. Samuel refers to God as the strength of Israel in the fact that here it is, you know, King Saul, who had done his own thing and did it his way. I did it my way. He did it his way. He assumed it was the right thing. And then he turns around and he says, listen, I'm going to remove, God's removing his spirit from you and he's going to put it on somebody else. You're done. We're done playing the game. We're done playing the game. If God is the strength of Israel, then we must, he must be the strength for us too. If God is the strength for the nation of Israel, he must be the strength to any nation that would follow him. If Israel went into bondage when they turned from their strength, so will any nation that turns from him. If God is the strength of individuals like Samson and Saul, that, then, then he must also be the strength of you and me. If these individuals were prideful and self-sufficient, indulging in sin and were brought low, so might we be brought low. I could name a list of biblical examples and, and modern day examples and historical examples of people that were placed in high position that took it for granted and later fell. Happens all the time. Because we assume. We assume it's ours and God put me here and, and it doesn't really matter. Listen, it does matter. It matters how you live your life. Amen? It matters if you say you're a Christian and then you live your life like you're not a Christian. It matters to God. God is holy. Now, it doesn't mean that instantly when you sin, he removes his spirit. I don't want anybody to think that. We saw how horrible Samson had been and how patient God was with him. He was sleeping with prostitutes. And God was that patient with him? And this is pre-Christ? Well, not pre-Christ, just pre-covenant on the cross Christ. We understand that. We understand that through Christ, this is a time of a dispensation of grace and mercy and God to bestow and pour it out upon us, but we must not take for granted what we have within us. We must not assume that God is so faithful that he's just going to always be there no matter what. We need to be holy, amen? We need to be holy as he is holy. My encouragement to you this morning as I close this out is that, that we, even though... I, even though Samson, his eyes were gouged out and he was placed in bondage, the desire for God was restoration. Restoration. God had used Samson to do his will, and now God needed to get Samson to a place to where he had his heart again. Judges 16, we know that Samson was placed and his eyes were gouged out, he was placed in bondage. And he was set at the, the mill to grind. <coughs> pushing the mill around. Pushing the mill around. Grinding and grinding and grinding. And verse 22 says, Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And you say, Pastor Bob, you just said his strength wasn't in his hair. I said, I, I know that. I know it. But his hair began to grow back. The reminder of the covenant began to grow back. 
The reminder of him being set apart began to grow back. The reminder of the strength that was once with him when he defeated his enemies began to grow back. And as he's out there grinding, and as he's working, he's feeling his head, and he's feeling his hair, and he's so, oh Lord, man, I should, what was I doing? That was stupid. Why did I do that? And he's pushing, and for all that time, his hair's grown back, and he's reminded of the covenant church. We, if we are in a place where we've sinned against God, and we've allowed ourselves to assume that we are this or we are that apart from holiness, then we need to look back to the reminder of the covenant, which is behind that thing, it's the cross. We need to look back at the reminder of the covenant that's standing in front of us that says, hey, look, you need to turn around and get off the path of assumption, assuming that you're good enough to make it and turn around and kneel down here where you were before. You need to be reminded of this. You need to remember and remind yourself of the blood that was shed on your behalf. You need to remind yourself that salvation wasn't something you earned. It was something that was given to you, a gift from God the Father. You need to be reminded of the fact that you need to be grateful that God would give His Son to you to die for your sins. You need to be reminded of the fact that the same eyes that were full of tears hanging on the cross looked down and saw those that were crucifying Him said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. The same God that was merciful that gave His Son to hang on the cross was merciful toward those that were killing Him. Listen, if if that God's going to do that for us, we need to live a life of worship and sacrifice to Him. We need to quit saying, well, I'm just saved and that's good enough. We need to allow ourselves to be discipled and changed and be holy. We need to come back to the foot of the cross. Some of us haven't been there in years. We need to evaluate ourselves. We need to stop and look at ourselves and say, am I on the path of assumption or am I on the path of truth? Am I living truth out in my life or am I just walking through this life aimlessly thinking, well, you know, God will just lead me wherever. It's a dangerous place to be, church. It's a dangerous place to be. We need to be reminded and remember the source of our past victories and submit to His Lordship once again. Judges 16, verse 28 And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may be at once avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. Samson has a new attitude of humility there. He wasn't even asked to be set free forever. He said, Lord, just this once. A place of humility, coming to the cross, remembering the covenant, and then all of a sudden looking up and saying, God, look, I miss you. Much like the attitude of of the, the prodigal son coming back, I don't deserve to be called your child. He says, look, Lord, just this once. I, I want to feel your presence again. Just, if it's just once, Lord, just please. He cried out to God and he asked, and he asked for strength. Strengthen me. Come back into my life. Strength of Israel. Be upon me. Be within me. Help me to overcome. We likewise need to turn to the cross and we need to begin to ask God as we evaluate ourselves and we see the sin in our lives and the things we deal with, we say, God, be the strength in my life to help me overcome this addiction. Help me overcome this bondage. Help me to overcome this attitude. Help me to overcome my anger. Help me to overcome my lust. Help me to overcome. Overcome, God. Give me your strength. Let me be reminded not to walk in this self-righteous, pious relationship with you. Really, not even a relationship. This pious attitude that says, I'm a believer, and it really doesn't matter. It does matter. I need your strength. Help me not to walk in my own strength. And lastly, Judges 16, And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars upon which the house stood and on which it was borne up, of the one with his right hand and of the other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they which he slew in his life. 
You would say, well, see, Pastor Bob, how great Samson's story is. <laughs> okay, he, he died mercifully by God to do God's will in a condition to where he's chained to pillars and blind with his eyes gouged out. What could he have been had he obeyed God in holiness all of his life? It's a picture of God's mercy to us today to see that, yes, you're not hopeless in any condition. It's a picture of us, for us today to see that God is merciful no matter what you deal with, no matter what you go through, but we've got to take steps of holiness so that the sin we have with this body will die with this body someday. We still have this flesh on us. We talked about it last week. The flesh that is over our body, that is over our, our spirit, that is within us being renewed daily. This flesh one day has got to die, and we want sin to die with it. There comes a point after we recognize our covenant and reminded of it and that we cry out to God and He strengthens us. There's, that follows that needs to be an act of holiness, a motion made that will kill this flesh. That doesn't mean we go out and do something stupid. We don't all drink the Kool-Aid. You know what I'm saying? It means that what we do is, is our life now is a life lived crucifying our flesh, set apart. Holiness. This whole thing that we've talked about today is very clear. You may be saved, you may be filled with the Holy Spirit, but my friend, do not grieve the Spirit that is within you. Do not intentionally run around and do and say whatever you want without living by the Word of God and just assume that the blessing of God is always going to rest on you. There's this attitude of entitlement I'm probably going to be talking about in Thanksgiving. It says, Lord, you have to bless me because the Word says... I'm your child, Lord. You have to bless me because your word says. Well, last time I checked when he was with Israel in the Old Testament, there was always stipulations. I will if you. True? It's much the same for us today, church. We may be saved, but there are a lot of, a lot of things that we can gain or lose based upon how we live our lives. Let's pray together this morning.